A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, Dubai, pay-per-views, oh! premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bigger quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, they're joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review AEW Dynamite. And Michael Sidgwick, all I've heard in recent weeks when I've been missing from this podcast is that Dynamite has gone a bit mid. Didn't feel like it for this show. No, 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 not at all. I thought this was absolutely fantastic. Absolutely loved the two hours. Loads and loads of peaks on it as well. Um, there was some stuff that was merely good and not blew away great, but the mere fact that it was good just helped the pacing tremendously. Um, minimal obligatory get every angle advanced via a backstage segment as well, which really helps, it really prevents the pacing from just being this brisk, organic watch. It just feels like a contrived, Jesus, I know they're feuding. I don't have to realize they are feuding. Along that lines, there's no young bucks on the show. And traditionally, if they're not appearing in the ring or anything like that, you'd get some cut at Brandon mm -hmm. and, about eight of those across the show, it's like, I, I, your roster's too big, everything's contrived, can't have too many grudge feuds happening at once, or else it just feels like silly and fake. And some of the match, the range of the matches, mm. the inspired video package, some of the promos, <laughs> the angles, just, I love AEW, and AEW has destroyed my love of virtually every other promotion, <laughs> because it is a hub for everything that is great. Yeah, I think I think when people complain and say like, "Oh, why does Sid always bring up AEW on like other podcasts?" It's not because you're trying to force the agenda of, of AEW. You are just holding everything else to this standard now. It's the hub, angles, promos, match quality, match range, love loving details that you can just be awestruck by. If I've got everything I want from professional wrestling in one package, and I've got so little time to enjoy it elsewhere, mm. then this is my thing that I like most. When it's bad, it's like, oh, well, how are I? I could be watching other wrestling here. I've got a lot of eggs in this basket. Mm -hmm. And uh, don't know where this metaphor's going. <laughs> but I really enjoyed this goddamn show. It was fantastic. Yeah, it, it, feel, uh, it feels like it's been a, an age since I've sat down with you two and talked about AW Dynamite properly. And I, I noticed that watching it this morning because I was like, hmm, 
lot of wrestling on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was uh, a triumph of formatting more than any one individual thing. That's not to say I'm not looking forward to it. It's rare we say that as well with Dynamite. That's been the biggest thing. Like, there's rarely where there's a Dynamite that something isn't fantastic. There's something, like, at least one thing that we're doing backflips over or a reminder that fundamentally this is this is the wrestling company now. This is the proper wrestling company. WWE wouldn't even want to be considered that, so that's not even a dig at them, but like, this is where wrestling lives. Um, so formatting has been a bigger issue than the inherent belief that this company will get stuff right again. And I just think that was what this show was a victory for. And I say that because, like, I suppose it's a bit of a podcast teaser more than a Dynamite one. I think me and Sidgwick are going to have, like, a 2019-esque stylistic disagreement. Ooh. This was absolutely the wrestling buffet, but Michael Sidgwick is a man that would take a piece of everything from the buffet. I'm much, much, much pickier. And setting my ways are the things that I wouldn't Got choose. any toast on that buffet? We There's some crisps on that toast. <laughs> we've, uh, we've, we've been lucky lately at What Culture Towers due to various training and events going on, to have uh, been like had like lunch provided by external services, mm. of which I can have virtually none of, oh. because I'm too bland and boring and fussy. <laughs> and that is going to tie into where we're going to disagree. All of that said, there was a segment on here that is, it, like, is the bar, is the AW bar, is the reminder of what this company is capable of and is worth, like, a bit soapboxy this, I think is worth, like, talking about as a way to remind people of what our expectations are when that bar is not reached. Mm. I'm, I'm just going to say it now. Like, the Dark Side of the Ring segment, which I can't wait to talk in depth oh. about, is the standard. Yeah. That's AW because it's not just what happens when you're watching it. It's the process of getting to that point. It's the creative minds that came up with it in the first place, and it's how it spins off into a million other things. That's the standard. So when certain corners of, like, the fan bases don't like AEW being criticised. It's being criticised against that standard mm. and not not even a not even a punches throw. That wasn't even a match, you know. But that's the standard of which you can expect from this company when it hits. And like, the, and it wasn't just that on the show, but that was what got me thinking about just what a, what a peak that this company can reach when everything operates, when everything fires. Well, after getting so giddy to talk about this dynamite, we have to start with a bit of heartbreak. Uh, the opening match uh, was the quarterfinal match in the Owen Hart uh, tournament. Dax Harwood versus Adam Cole, and uh, yes, differing personalities, I think it's fair to say, in this match. Adam Cole does the Adam Cole baby thing early on. Dax chops the crap out of his chest as a result. Cole comes back, knee lift, uh, there's dueling chants from the crowd, and the exchange holds, the exchange cradles. Uh, but the turning point was when Cole uh, drove Dax rib first into the ring posts, and then, uh, then into the steel steps outside, and it was like a target was was made on his ribs from that moment on. Uh, we go to a break, and Cole dominates out on the floor. When we come back, uh, Dax turned a ripcord into a uh, series of German suplexes. Cole got got back with one of his own, but Dax finished it off and, and hit the third suplex. And then they fight on the top rope, and Dax comes off it and lands on his feet, and Cole's dodged out of the way, but Dax recovers and hits a slingshot powerbomb for a huge pab and a two-count. Uh, Cole hits the Ushigoroshi, that gets a two-count. Dax gets a two-count off a uh, crossbody. Um, but as he goes for it a second time, Cole just nails him in midair with that brilliant super kick of his. He wants the Panama Sunrise, but uh, Dax stops him and hits a straight pile driver for another great near fall. Dax puts him in the sharpshooter to, yet again, a, a fantastic reaction from the crowd. Uh, goes for the submission, but as I mentioned earlier, those injured ribs uh, were going to come back into play here. He had to break the hold, goes out on the floor, he uh, tries to recover. He almost uh, gets counted out, in fact. Um, and as he dives back into the ring to just break it on the verge of a, t a 10 count, uh, Cole 
gets gets up on top of him, puts him in the sharpshooter, and as much as Dax tries to scratch and claw, the pain is too much with the injured ribs, and he has to submit. Adam Cole advances to the semi-finals of the Owen Hart Cup. Michael Sidgwick, I loved literally everything about this. It was so incredible as a professional wrestling match. The depth of the work involved was tremendous. And I just like the bold direction of the result. They've been putting over how much Dax Harwood is indebted to the Hart family for saving his life as much as it informed his professional wrestling career. The same goes for Cash Wheeler, incidentally. So to have him lose in the opening round to the Shawn Michaels-inspired guy from (laughs) NXT is so bold, and it just adds so much weight and Holy, you can love this as much as you want. You can want to win it as much as you want. Only one person can. This this framed the tournament in such an important way with no chicanery. No, I, on the preview yesterday, I fantasy booked or predicted that uh, Red Dragon were going to interfere and that was going to spin off into FTR versus Red Dragon, which was first teased um, mm. ahead of Revolution in the, the various battle royals or the two battle royals that they did. Nope, one guy lost, and that was it. And I love how it's like a self-contained, ultra-competitive, like, honorable thing. I really wanted this because I think the qualifiers, they've used them to facilitate or advance just general storylines that are going on, which I think the the owners should be left separate from. And now that the, the actual tournament itself is unfolding, it appears that's the direction, the direction I wanted. So I was over the moon with that. Um, I thought the finish was so great because not only was it really bold, not only was it great heel match layout stuff, but at the same time, Dax Harwood gets put down by a move that he holds in total reverence. Mm. The sharpshooter, so it kind of works on that level as well. It's, it's heel doing a horrible heel thing and a baby face going out with honor from the move of the guy that he admires. So what I loved about this as well, like I'm a counter nerd. I don't mind where the counters come from. If it's like, even if it's a flying nothing, um, I still really enjoy them because I'm just a nerd for it. I'm just a mark who gets, oh, I didn't expect that move to happen. (laughs) Seth and Cody's at Backlash, man. Yes, Seth and Cody's were great as well. Like I... I love a great one, obviously. I love him so much that even, like, uh, transparently, you're doing this move to counter it. (laughs) (laughs) The counter wrestling here, I would describe as anti-flying nothing. It felt so much like they had just simply strategized deeply um, with deep thought um, their opponents on the night. The best one uh, for me was the sharpshooter. It wasn't a counter so much as... Um, a gradual strategy employed throughout the match that neutralized Harwood's ability to do it. And I forgot that Harwood had been doing the sharpshooter of late. So when Cole was going for the midsection, I just thought, that's a move he can target for, whatever. It's like, oh, when you saw him crumple and couldn't do the sharpshooter, like, it's that light bulb eureka, yeah. of, that's the story they've been telling. And then to subvert it with Cole doing it was just tremendous. Cole selling that slingshot powerbomb looked like total death. <laughs> yeah. The Panama Sunrise into the pile driver was just great. It just really felt like they weren't doing cool things. Because the whole idea is you want you want it to be like a waveform where it goes up and down and up and down um, in terms of match, uh, the match and move, counter, move, heat spot. You wanted to do it in such a way that the crowd, if it's a straight line going across the top, the audience investment's going to dip. Mm. But it just felt like such an awesome waveform. And every counter just informed, just masterful crowd psychology. 
I mean, yeah, like I echo all of that, and I still want to have our podcast go like twice as long as it should do. <laughs> so I'll, like, I'll try and like isolate the other points because it was just a wonderful professional wrestling match. It turned the tournament into a title, which the tournament really needed. So yesterday on the preview, like what you want out of a tournament first round match is maybe a match that feels like it could have been the final mm. because it adds like tremendous prestige to the tournament. But then the pressure is on the match to deliver that and make sure that it feels that way after the fact. I loved watching Adam Cole silence a few critics. I'm an Adam Cole guy, and it's not felt good to feel like maybe some of the critics have got a point. You know, specifically with the Panama Sunrise, which was a spot they focused on as a way to make mean something again. But in some terms of some of the other aspects of his work as well, he was dry, like, like teaser WWEism, dragged back into the deep water of being a pro wrestler mm. more than staring at his hands and going for the, the like the big wacky stuff that I actually overwhelmed one of the Hangman Page matches. And none of that was here. Like we were getting some like more earthy Adam Cole work, which I was really pleased to see. Um, they found a way to make the like Hangman Page, like said the. Like quite part loud last week, masturbatory Bret Hart matches was becoming a thing that was like you're not going to know that it's gone past the tipping point until it has, unfortunately. And then Paige was like, oh yeah, he's, he's right, it has. Still did it this week, and it was still absolutely fantastic. <laughs> that that Bret bump into the like the ribs into the side of the post, and then like I don't know if this has gone around online yet or this is just something that I'm like doing as a bit of headcanon. When did Bret Hart famously crumple in the sharpshooter? It was the night that him and Owen couldn't beat the Quebecers, and Owen kicked the leg out of his leg. Oh, the, the, the first night of the rest of the night's life, effectively, as a character in WWE. And that was the that was the night Brett crumpled in the sharpshooter, and he's done it in the Owen Hart tournament. So if you're going to do it, like continue to be as artful as that. Yeah. And you can do it as much. It turns out you can do it as much as you want when you use artistic integrity with it. Um, so yeah, I just like echo everything Cedric said about like just how important it was for the rest of the Owen Cup going forward, um, for how good all of it felt as well it was just it you beat a baby face in that heartbreaking way and yet the match as a sort of like a long-standing pro wrestling fan as we are Mitch go oh that felt great like that like you, you mm. don't want you almost don't want to see it but you can kind of revel in in the heel getting it the way he did lovely really really lovely what two more things very sorry one the first of which is Adam Cole doing the stomp for the switch in music perfect it was right. so perfect because it was just a little hint, not cosplay, which yes. they've done a really mostly great job of doing. Um, but it's rare that you actually hate the heel or you think the heel is being a cock, but just the context of the own cup and it just generally felt like you dick. Mm. I generally thought you are a cock <laughs> and I very rarely <laughs> earnestly feel that towards a heel because I'm 36 years old now <laughs> and I'm a grown adult. And secondly, just to, to riff on Hamlet's point about how you can do the tributes but you can weave it much better in the body of the match. The sternum chest bump, which is the heart signature bump, it made sense in terms of the body part that was targeted, and it was just, this is great pro wrestling. Yeah, hell of an opener. And uh, after that, we got a, a hype video s setting up the main event, Darby Allen versus Jeff Hardy, also in the tournament. Anything goes. Uh, and then it was time for CM Punk versus John Silver. Hangman Page, the world champion, joins commentary for this match, and Punk comes out in a John Tavares... Tavares. I haven't got any idea. Yeah, you can infer it, though. Yeah. You can infer that the way he moved his body around slowly, I knew instantly, without knowing a goddamn thing about it. It's ice hockey, isn't it? New York Islanders. Yeah. So, so it's the guy, ice. The screwed the club, hasn't he? Yes. That's, I'm it's not. Like, <laughs> it's, he can tell by the way he simply moved and the way he wanted to register the reaction and his body language in the reaction. There's going to be some dickhead. So, didn't get it. Well, <laughs> you know, you're a moron. Yeah, you don't just have to you just go back to school. You didn't yeah. have to. Come you know what I mean? There's night say. schools and stuff. <laughs> they're all like they're all like night schools, and like if you've if you've missed gaps in your education, like my dad was like quite a, um, a sickly child as a youth, right? So he never got like legitimate qualifications. Mm. 
And it's just as well like they had apprenticeships and there was actual industry in the country <laughs> um, at the time because he had no qualifications to go and do like an office job or whatever. Um, he's a painter, my dad by trade. Really? A good one at that. Um, you know what he did when he realised, I've got my education, I've always wanted to be a little bit more qualified. He went to night school. Mm. He wasn't a pig ignorant <laughs> who just <laughs> gladly reveled in being thick to make something that other people like seem bad. He, he went to night school. Go to school or do something. No, That's you see, just, I need just, my heels to come out, or not even heels, but I need my people to come out and say, uh, yeah, the New York Islanders suck. Because that's the, that's the point that they're making. That I get that. Yeah. They're our rivals. <laughs> <laughs> they're our rivals. <laughs> they're our rivals. We're not talking about, like, just for those Twitter morons, by the way. We're not spelling night school with a K. I'm not suggesting <laughs> maidenless behavior. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so this was... Bizarro world to, to coin. Went to school twice and scared <laughs> <laughs> Uh CM Punk was not well received, unsurprisingly, yeah. here. Um, and early on, John Silver, who was, was rather popular, um, got uh, got caught out of his momentum often by Punk. That was his, his strategy. And uh, he hit him with a lariat to take us to commercial. When we come back, uh, Silver fights back, sends Punk into the corner. Nails him with some strikes, and there's a brain buster that follows for a two count. Uh, Silver slightly stumbles as he's, he's climbing up onto the ropes, but he, he recovers and hits a tornado DDT for a two count. But Silver gets stopped in his tracks by a high kick from Punk and a short arm clothesline. And then we all could see this coming, and yet he did it anyway. He steals Hangman Page's finisher. He hits Silver with a buckshot lariat mm. for the one, two, three. Um, do you want to talk about the match first? And then we'll talk. I'll, I'll do. I'll, I'll mention yeah. what he said afterwards, and then we can talk about the whole thing. Post match, Page understandably storms down to the ring, gets in Punk's face, um, and uh, Punk says, "What's what's wrong, Page? You mad? You know, you're taking it a little bit too personally. You know, me taking that title is just beyond you." Um, he said, uh, "Every morning I wake up and I ask myself if I'm a good guy, and uh, I, I want to know. You know, he's talking about would you wake up and ask yourself if you're the champ." And that's what I'm going to do, sort of thing. And they, you know, it said at double or nothing, uh, I'm going to win the title and I'm going to shake your hand regardless whether you're conscious or unconscious. And he holds out his hand for Hangman Page to shake, and Hangman Page gives him the finger. Fantastic, this right. Um, I did the misery bit stuff, and then I just put over the promo. Uh, the match was basic, which is not a problem particularly because CM Punk is en route to uh, the world title match with which he's amassed a load of wins to do it. And, like, kind of being... If you imagine this is an emulation of a sport, CM Punk is better at this sport than John Silver. So he's going to work through the difficulties and then win the match, right? Uh, I predicted yesterday that he would steal Hangman Page's finisher, and I said dead eye for a reason. Like, I am all in as a 37-year-old man on CM Punk being the best in the world at this. Don't do a thing that might expose that you're not the best at everything. Like I, like, I don't, like, yeah, I do want to be critical. because it's the story not that he does the dead eye at the pipe? Well, whatever. Don't attempt the hang, don't attempt the uh, bookshop do, do the dead eye twice. Yeah. yeah like, funny. you, it's okay. It's okay. The, the, like, if anything, it puts the bookshot Larry over as, like, a feat of quite impressive yeah. athleticism of a big guy like Hangman Page, because, like, Punk just did a pretty awful job of it. He whiffed it, kind of took the air out of the balloon of the whole thing of the match. And you're like, oh, like, yeah, didn't want to see that. Like, I don't mind CM Punk looking knackered as a guy that's been out of the game for a while, but then finds his, like, like takes a moment, like, refuels the gas tank and gets back to work because he's the best in the world, super experienced. That was, like, that That was supposed to be this flex. That was supposed to be in Peacock. That's and, the worst thing about it. And winding up Hangman Page. And he sort of embarrassed himself by doing a poor job of it. 
and it's not a kayfabe thing. It's just a physically he couldn't do it thing, and I was just devastated to watch it happen. Like shame that because everything else continues to rule about this. Every single thing about this continues to rule. So amazing that MJF is never over, is it? Like this thing with MJF is never over. I look in the mirror every day, and I, I'm asking if I'm a good man. The jersey stuff with mm. them both wearing it later on. This like this feud is never ever over. Well, it's because he lost the feud. So Very few it. feuds are in AW, and that's what yeah. I love. Like, and like the, the the level of legacy on this specific one is just incredible, considering mm. how much they explored in the feud itself. Um, and MJF emerged victorious, of course. 2-1, no? Am I wrong? Uh, the rest of this was fantastic. Like, I don't know where me and Cedric are both at on this, but like we talked quite a lot about this yesterday, about what exactly this programme was in terms of, is it a battle of two baby faces like, on the night? Is it AW asking you to receive one more as a heel than the other? It's, I think this is competitive sport, and I think it's competitive sport for what AW are presenting as the biggest prize in the industry to win, and I, I love that so much. I think this is absolutely amazing, this programme. I think this is very, very, very good for what it is, but I just kind of desperately want it to be something else. I love the sporting element where you're going to... boxing s- world title fight, this is Yeah, you're going to see two ugly sides to two men who need to fight ugly, which in itself puts each other over, like, to an incredible degree. Like, I'm going to have to be a cock. I'm going to have to say my harshest trash talk, or I'm going to have to, like, sort of present this facade of confidence because... We know how important this is. We know how significant it is. We each know how difficult it's going to be. So the worst sides of both men are coming out. I get it. I would prefer to agonize over which guy I like the most. And they are kind of doing the exact opposite of that by taking it in turns to be dicks. (laughs) So it's the opposite of what I really want it to be and how I really want to feel. I really Mm -hmm. want to feel so much of this. Um, I want to have this genuinely like, in a torment about, oh, like, the new guy who, like, the new old guy who I used to really love, and then I really went off CM Punk, and in his absence, I genuinely thought, like, oh, he's been, like, surpassed badly mm. um, by this, like, you know, the Omegas and the and the books, and even as a technician, and then he comes back and he's still the best, and I fall in love with him all over again. In the meantime, got Hangman Page, who I've really invested in, whose character I can relate to on a deep level. I, I wanted to have this. I don't know who I want to win, and I almost don't want the match to happen as much as I do want it to happen. Yeah, we 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 couldn't get you to do a pasty bet in the office. Yeah, no, yeah. you don't want to call it. You don't. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, they're just kind of taking it in turns to be dicks. I, <laughs> I get it, but it's not. What, uh, as for the match itself, like faster, more explosive guy tries to blow older, slower guy away, fails because the older, slower guy is much more clever. I like that condensed into an eight-minute story. Elements of it were very good. Elements of it were sloppy. And that finish was... He got the flip right, and he couldn't do the strike, which is the odd thing. I just think it was too much at once. Is it because John Silver's so small? <laughs> <laughs> that he was like, oh, hang on, where are you? Did How you far away are you? All right, you're down there. Like, is that what it like, was? Like his boots run out of spring, didn't they? Like, used it all for the, for the actual flip, and then it's like... Ugh. I got to like the... Where's like, like, he shoot. gone? It's like me when I stand up too quickly now. <laughs> What's going on? What am I doing? Oh, yeah. Right, take you out. The, just the one last thing on the details, because Punk's amazing at them. Hangman Page is very good, the two of them together. Punk's reference... You know the other week, Cedric, I think you pointed this out, about the um, like baby faces, if they guarantee winning, then they don't do it. It's, it's obviously terrible, so Punk didn't guarantee the win. He was like, I don't know if I'm going to win, but I can mm-hmm. bet that you know I'll go through the wheels fall off. 
I thought like you might appreciate this as an MMA guy because you've brought this up as an example before. Punk very specifically talking about, look at the end of all this, I'm going to shake your hand. And that kind of does speak to the fact that we kind of know we're both being dickheads here. Yes. Because we've got to do it to try and get in the other person's head. But then the MMA fighters always shake hands at the end and it's like, yeah, we were about to kill each other in a cage. Like mm. your blood is splattered all over my chest, but hand out. Like Punk's... No, I mean, not always. Conor McGregor no, yeah. shouted to Dustin Poirier that his wife was in his DMs. <laughs> but, you know, maybe he's a complete wanker though, isn't he? Well, Punk acknowledging that... The hand is still going to be extended at the end, regardless of yeah. who's one holding yeah, the belt. Yeah. It kind of speaks to that, doesn't it? Again, the, the sporting framework that they they know that like what they're doing is exaggerated for, the, for just another way to try and get an advantage over the other person. Uh, we go backstage. There's Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter, and Rebel Reba um, talking about this tournament. Uh, obviously, Jamie Hayter's facing Tony Storm. Uh, who's who's Britt Baker facing in this tournament? The Joker, baby. Ross Robert. <laughs> Baker's not happy. About this. <laughs> Um, but then he's, Tony, he's the joke. <laughs> Tony points out that if both Baker and Hater win, it's that joke, baby. <laughs> they're gonna have a, they're gonna have to face each other. And uh, Britt Baker says, "Oh yeah, that'll be a fair fight, and you know the best woman will win." And then she just gives a look to Rebel. Imagine those controlling narrative boys, but that Joker from the like sixties Batman. <laughs> Get them, boys! Narrative slaps on screen. Control, big big chicken. Like every time they swing a ball, the controlling narrative boys don't know that was a sixties cartoon or in fact a graphic novel. They'd probably just think that like the Dark Knight Rises was the first one. <laughs> Uh, then we got Danhausen's in-ring debut. The moment I watched this, I was very excited to see what you two made of it. Uh, he was taking on Tony Nese and his tiny knees, and uh, no entrance for Tony Nese, which was referenced immediately afterwards. Uh, the match, the bell rings. Danhausen goes to curse uh, Tony Nese because, of course, he is Venice Vable. <laughs> um, but Mark Sterling jumps up on the apron, causes a distraction, and that allows Tony Nese to attack him. Hit the uh, running uh, running corner knee and beat Danhausen in well under thirty seconds basically. And Sterling gets on the mic afterwards. What an incredible addition he is to Tony Nice. Um, and says he's not he's not surprised. Mother no, he's he says he's not shocked. Um, he says, look, Tony Nice didn't even get an entrance. And and look at look at what he's done to your you know your bloody favourite here sort of thing. And he, he insists on hitting more running running nieces. I think is the yeah. technical term. Um, and uh, he says Nice is going to have to continue embarrassing the meme wrestlers. Uh, and he goes to set up for another running Nice. But Huck's music hits. He comes down. Um, and Sterling and, and Nice get out of dodge. Danhausen's shaken up. He's, he's holding his head. And he realizes Huck's in the ring with him, holds out his hand. And Huckhausen, not officially, but comes one step closer uh, as the handshake between Huck and Danhausen. And then Huck storms off. Your thoughts on all this? The huge baby was so huge that I legitimately didn't hear the sting of uh, Hook's music. Yeah. I think they must have heard that first tiny bit of guitar, lost their minds, and I was like, all oh, right, okay, Hook's here. Although, like, the video paid first, the big text. The yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like just, I, honestly, just, like, it's blown away by the bloody volume of this pop. This was, and you can back up the preview for evidence, literally better than I expected, because I know that one, uh, Dan House is probably more one-dimensional than Cassidy. He's more of an act where the beauty of Orange Cassidy is that the act is a facade. He's awesome at the act, but you could put him in any other sort of serious wrestling character, and he could work a 20-minute match that would be just about on the level of the best Dynamite TV matches, or maybe a notch below, let's be honest, because, you know, Kenny Omega and Danielson exist. <laughs> so I thought, right, do a little fun spot match where Dan Housen can do some things that he does, and then get beat so that the next time he wrestles, he can do yet more. And now he does nothing, and now he needs Hook to sort of believe in him, and then you're going to see that on the buy-in. 
they are kind of telling you, oh, this Dan Housen, he's nice, he's a bit wacky, he's a bit irreverent, a bit arcane. He can't do anything in the ring. God bless him. So now, when he does do something in the ring, it's going to pop people's tits off, and it's going to go for, like, naught to 60 in that, like, he's going to do a destroyer or something. Like the sting when he left Yeah, exactly. The it's the sting principle, except in a very, very different way. Because mm. the sting principle is still one of my favorite things AEW's ever done. They kind of... I love how they slowly manipulate the, uh, the media as well, AEW. Like, yeah, yeah, he's got spinal stenosis. Oh, really Sting's got spinal stenosis. <laughs> Sting's got spinal... Got a great point, Sting. He got spinal stenosis. <laughs> he can't do anything. He can't bump. He shouldn't even be in there. He's like, yeah, he's, like, he's awesome. <laughs> Brian Cage going to do a power bomb. He's going to do it, guys. <laughs> so this idea that Danhausen can't do anything is going to be subverted mm. to magnificent effect in Vegas. Let it play out. Yeah, AW got this so right. Like, so, so right. The... One thing about the meme wrestler, and that shouldn't be a derivative, sign a meme wrestler because memes are really popular and viral, and that means that you will probably get shared and you will break some merch records or whatever. This is a value, and people need to under... Like, we've said this from the very beginning. It does not matter that we don't get Dan Housen. We get why they would get Dan Housen, you know? I mean, he's basically, he was a Vine wrestler here. <laughs> Six seconds, this match. I love you, Dan Housen. No, like that. It's Great. Just... So no Dan Housen. <laughs> <laughs> Every vine, but Dan Housen. Uh, oh, we should do this. Every <laughs> just get one of the new jeans. Look at your yeast Dan Housen. <laughs> Wanker. I uh, want to be a Dan Housen, <laughs> baby. Oh, yeah. Uh, just what tremendous. What the hell, Dan Housen? <laughs> <laughs> you know your boy Dan Housen's got the free tacos. <laughs> Nice, Dan Housen. Oh, I sneezed. I'm not allowed to sneeze. <laughs> I love you, Dan Housen. I ain't ever going to stop loving you, Dan, Dan Housen. <laughs> it was f***ing one of you, Dan Housen. <laughs> really good. <laughs> imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. 
Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful too for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash whatculture. Next, <laughs> the uh, MJF and Wardlow contract signing... And, uh, yeah, I, I don't really like to, to lecture people, but I think a lot of AW fans can oh, learn from this. Five minutes of that. Um, Can't you get it out of your system? I just thought, well, why isn't MJF always received like this? <laughs> uh, he, yeah, he, Wardlow comes out, he's handcuffed, he's got millions of security around him. Uh, and prior to MJF's babyface reaction, there was, I mean, I'm not going to do it justice. I just accepted that. There was an exquisite... Uh, Dark Side of the Ring video. Now, as I said, I've not been keeping up with with Dynamite as as regularly as I had been. So for a split second, I thought, oh, it's weird that they've cut to this in an ad break. But I was like, oh, sweet, Dark Side of the Ring's back. And then they're like, and then he he, he buggered up and put the ring on the rug. (laughs) And I was like, what is this? Um, So yes, they are talking, of course, of the MJF punk feud. And and I'm not going to step on your toes, but there was bits shown of, of... you know, like they often do in Dark Side of things uh, being recreated and Wardlow interfering. And there was talking heads from Taz. Oh, there was a narrator, sorry, uh, there was narration from Chris Jericho who almost stopped, but then remembered how much he was getting paid to do this. <laughs> uh, there was Taz who was sick to his stomach with what he was talking about having a rip. key does MJF's conciliatory. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My love, man, MJF. Why can't <laughs> Taz say that word on TV? I'd love to see yeah. it. I'd love to hear that. So this this Taz having uh, you know, esque flashbacks <laughs> to it. Jake Roberts, Jake Roberts, and <laughs> Barry Horowitz. Uh, what was it you said? I'm, I'm qualified to say this. Or take it from a top it. guy. That's yeah, <laughs> that guy was a jobber. <laughs> um, so they do all that, and, and I'll let you guys uh, wax lyrical about that in a second. I'll run through everything else that happened. MJF comes out again with a. Uh, what they called New York Islanders jersey on with his name on the back and got a far far changed reaction from what uh, uh, Punk got and uh, he plays up to the crowd he's hugging he's he's basically kissing babies and doing all the the, the, the classic babyface traits uh, and he gets in the ring uh, Sean Spears by the way thoughts white gear the white chair white chair oh my god magnificent. <laughs> He gets on the mic, MJF does, uh, and talks about David and Goliath. Uh, and he say, he talks about being Jewish from the Holy Land, and he isn't talking about Israel. He's talking about the most magical place in the world, Long Island, New York. And uh, he sets up the fact that it's you know it's going to be Wardlow's turn to speak in a second. And even the, the paws up in the cheap seats, they're all beautiful, but he wants to make <laughs> sure that no one in this building, wink, wink, I mean, he, he didn't say wink, wink, but he might as well have, Please don't boo him so much that we can't hear what he's going to say. And he, he, he's booed out of the building, basically. 
And uh, they were rebellious, I think it's fair to say, this crowd, because they did boo. They did boo so much, and he didn't even barely give them a chance to even talk on the mic and went, well, guess guess no one wants to hear from you, so more from me. And uh, he goes to talk conditions. Uh, he says, Wardlow, you are the worst. Uh, and what you're gonna what you're gonna go through is payment for all the things you did to my best friend, the American roller coaster, <laughs> Cody Rhodes. Best thing ever this. Uh, and so he presents his conditions for having the match at double or nothing. And uh, it's one of my favorite things AW's ever done. They're doing it again. Wardlow is gonna face a 10 lashing punishment, basically. And uh, well, the way they set up this is brilliant. Not one, not two, not three, not four, but yeah. Sean, can you help me out with this? Ten, that's how many lashes that uh, Wardlow's going to have to take. And then he's going to face Sean Spears inside a steel cage. And Wardlow goes like, brilliant, I'm going to kill a guy. Um, and uh, MJF just excellently fires back with a, with a one-two punch of A, I don't know what you're getting so excited about. You're 0 2 in steel cage matches. <laughs> and B, by the way, I'm the special guest referee, which I'm sure he will call completely down the middle. And the third caveat to all this is that if Wardlow loses, or when, he, or when he loses, I think he said, at double or nothing, he will never be allowed to sign a contract with AEW. Speaking of which, Wardlow goes to sign the contract, but those bloody pesky handcuffs, they're getting in the way. And MGF's like, ah, don't worry about it. You fool, Maxwell. Don't worry about it. Take the handcuffs off. Uh, and uh, there's a bit of a Paul Heyman issue with the handcuffs initially, but he gets them <laughs> off, uh, and he signs the contract and then puts his hands out to be recuffed. Psych lays out every single member of the security. Uh, MGF and Sean Spears are in there, and he rushes at Shoop Spears, rushes it in with the, uh, with the beautiful white chair, <laughs> uh, but he gets taken out, and it looks like Wardlow's finally going to get his hands on MJF as he dives out of the ring. Wardlow gets his hand on him, but Sterling... Uh, saves his client, jumps on Wardlow's back, and gets powerbombed through the goddamn table as a result. This was sensational, Michael Hamflet. The contract signing was so epic, as was your description of it, that the Dark Side of the Ring thing feels like hours ago. Yeah. Like, when you were watching it, you were like, they've just done some, like, A, elite-tier AW material, and then they followed it up with a segment so fantastic and powerful and energised that you almost thought, oh, that was like last week's thing, wasn't it? Like two back-to-back bits of AEW television brilliance here. Like one after another after another. The the dark side of the ring bits I just want to isolate because I'm so sidical and I like luxuriate and how fun this was as well. The How close they were. It was quite gentle in how it almost ribbed uh, the dark side of the ring stylistic choices. Yeah. The, the actor character. The Wardlow bit in particular, like the way they want to dramatise it to favour MJF. As these dark side stories want to favour certain people sometimes, the Wardlow character, <laughs> slamming the ring. <laughs> it was such a gentle slide at the time to make clear that Wardlow was making a choice. But in dark side language, in MJF's head, <laughs> the ring in slow motion <laughs> on the apron was so great. And then how they do it on um, when you've got like a talking head on dark side of the ring and it might be like Jim Ross and they'll be like, I'm Jim Ross, I'm a like, long-tenured announcer or whatever, and it'll be like a slow-motion shot of him like walking up his drive or whatever. The Barry Howard slow-motion, like, patting on the back, like, <laughs> meh, meh, meh. <laughs> <laughs> it's complete, like, lifetime loser. Absolutely amazing. The whole thing was just, like, AEW operating at its best. Um, everybody involved, like, deserves kudos for that. The segment was brilliant. We were talking yesterday in the preview about MJF can't be thick. 
So the, the the actual end result was pretty predictable. You know, if you yes. win, if you win, you're free. If not, you can never wrestle again. You you would have maybe called that, but you absolutely wouldn't have called them going to the exact well that MJF's been to once before. And that's what makes him not thick as a heel. You got to go through all these things, and you know it because you were in the ring and you lived it. You're gonna have and to he have, beat Cody yes. as well. At His the end. one was the one that mattered, wasn't it? Wardlow's was the one that actually counted. Really, Cody was like, I can do all this, and then Wardlow put him down. You know, with that memorable one, and now he's got to live it. The cage match is fantastic because you're going to give Wardlow a win, we assume. You're going to give Wardlow a win in a situation that mirrors the likes of a Steve Austin getting around Vince McMahon being the referee. Like, all these odds are stacked and Wardlow's going to get it done and the crowd are going to go fucking wild, just as they did for Cody in that moonsault all those years ago. And then what remains is this match where the stakes are going to be super high, the match is going to be super heated. MJF at this point has got crowd control beyond almost nobody in AEW, and I don't mean because he's telling fans to boo, I mean because it's just, he is shown in every aspect from matches to heel promos to babyface promos to blood feuds to blood baths mm. that he knows how to orchestrate an audience in every arena, as he did here. And he told them not to boo. So, you know. Well, and there you go. He's just, he's sublime at all of this in such a way that you can trust him to do anything. He's gone from uh, the Darby Allen feud and match to the CM Punk feud and matches to this. Nobody, nobody is batting a hat with as high an average as MJF in this company at this point. And he dropped or a reference. In the, the industry, let's or face in the industry. Yeah, and he it. Dropped, didn't he drop a reference to potentially leaving and going over there? And so the thing about the bidding war of 24. The, the bidding war of 24 remains this awesome thing because if you map in your head the trajectory of the AW world title, right? He's going to copy CM Punk. Of all the people, he's going to threaten to sign his WWE contract on the AWE world title. Because if you think about it, let's say Punk wins the belt, or if he doesn't and Hangman Page keeps it, right? That title, you could very realistically see that around MJF's waist by late 2023. Yes. And the war of 2024 is going to matter because he's going to have that belt. And he's like, I'm going to take this title, you know, and he's going to take a picture of it in his fridge or something like that. And it's going to be Punk all over again if he wants to do that, you know. And finally, in terms of comparing something to WWE, like, give me Batista and bless my soul. <laughs> we got it. There he is in his suit trousers, power bombing the guy through the table for the big moment because it is absolutely okay to draw from things that worked. Yes. And everybody has made that comparison because that was awesome and so is this. Brilliant. It was just one final flex, wasn't it? Yeah. We're going to end a contract signing with someone going, getting power, literally power bombed through a table yeah. and it's legitimately the, one of the best things you're going to see all year. It's, it's the one time WWE did it and people just loved it. Yeah. Like, like people actually like that, you know. This was absolutely phenomenal. The whole point of the dark side of the ring dramatization was this ridiculously, like, silly but brilliant, like, mental gymnastic display to present Wardlow as the real heel, like, belligerent <laughs> dickhead, as ungrateful prick. Biting the hand that feeds. Biting the hand that feeds when he hasn't just been completely abused and <laughs> all the rest of it for however long he was, right? But the other beautiful black comedy wrinkle to the dark side of the ring thing, right? Is that think of the subjects that have appeared on this show as like, Jesus, your life's been horrible mm. or you were so horrible that you've affected the lives of others. Um, like some, like there's one name I'm not, I'm not going to say because it, I don't want to draw a comparison. Yeah. The Von Erich family mm. have been the subject of one of these dark side of the ring. Um, Kevin Von Erich. Like this is legitimately heartbreaking to see um, Kevin Von Erich, like, it was almost uplifting to see what he's made of his life mm -hmm. um, since then, right? And then MJF 
presenting himself as a victim on Dark Side of the Ring. (laughs) It's like, Jesus Christ, the black comedy wrinkle was absolutely superb. Before Chris Jericho was smart enough, just one note on, Hamlet's covered the brilliance of it mostly, but one more note on the contract signing itself, right? The black comedy, the Dark Side of the Ring was just so great. But the contract signing itself was just as good, if not better. Um, Like, the whole beauty purpose of this is that Chris Jericho was smart enough to realize what's the one thing that this buffet, the smorgasbord, the stylistic hub, as I, as I like to call it personally, nothing is bad here. There's no one fixed philosophy other than sports entertainment. That's the one thing that all AEW fans, you've got this like diverse range of mm-hmm. tastes that they really hate and can't stand because, you know, it's rubbish. Why would you? Like, great sports entertainment. AEW does that. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, bad. Yes. WWE synonym because they can't say WWE on TV. That's the one thing the AEW fans don't like. So I was desperate before Chris Jericho got there first for them to convince Baron Corbin to sign and come out and just go, ah, yeah, I'm really happy to be here and just be the, the interloper, the, the Jerry Lawler in ECW, the Matt Cardona in CZW. Baron Corbin... Like, not wanting to be in <laughs> AEW would be such a... I think he'd be so amazing in yeah. that company. But Jericho's kind of got there first with the Jericho Appreciation Society. Because the guy is such an unbelievable genius, MJF has one-upped the one amazing thing that a heel can do in AEW. He's not only, like, sort of being Cody, a sports entertainer, he's being the turncoat who jumped... The carny who no one who talks out of both sides of his mouth and the, yeah I don't believe that he's a worker goddammit mm-hmm. but like every AEW fan and there are some toxic like really ultra AEW fans they hate Cody they feel like he's betrayed them they feel like he's never had any principles Ras- welcome to wrestling <laughs> <laughs> and MGF is being him and putting him over on television and alluding to the fact that I can't wait to join him yeah best friend. <laughs> the roller coaster it is un. But this feud was already like quietly. Is this as good as the punk thing? <laughs> they can nail this match at double or nothing. I'm, I think it might even be better. You might this be right. is unbelievable, man. Uh, we got some Samoa Joe promo uh, running down Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, uh, Dutt. Because uh, obviously, so who's Samoa Joe facing in the tournament? The Joker, baby. <laughs> uh, Dutt says, "Look, we're none of us are the Joker, but he does mock Joe's physique and his." Lack of brains, basically, but Joe ominously vows to win the tournament uh, and then settle things with those goofs his own way. Uh, and then we got an FTW Championship match. It was the absolute peace, Ricky Starks versus Jungle Boy. Um, early on, there's a sort of mirroring. They're both going for the uh, the slingshot arm drag. Actually, Starks hit Jungle Boy with it first, and Jungle Boy uh, did the same with a lot more leaping athleticism, let's just say. Um Starks takes control during the uh, during the ad break, but when we come back, Jungle Boy starts this comeback with a elbows and a, a rebound lariat. Starks uh, gets Jungle Boy with a backslide for a two count, and then goes for the Rochambeau, but Jungle Boy uh, counters that into a cradle, and then gets a thrust kick that gets him a near fall. Uh, Jungle Boy goes for another rebound lariat, but runs straight into a spear. But um, Starks can only get a two off the back of that, and Jungle Boy puts him in the snare trap and. Oh, Ricky Stark's facials, man, just the absolute... Pa- oh, bollocks, I'm in the snare trap. He realizes where he is, and he scratches and goes. He manages uh, to make it to the ropes, and he slides out of the ring, grabs the FTW title, but uh, Swerve Strickland's having none of that. He runs down to stop him from using it. Um, so uh, Starks gets back in the ring, 
Jungle Boy rolls him up, but Swerve's presence at ringside has led the referee out there to try and get rid of him. And Swerve's desperately going, oh, I'm going, just look back in the ring, get back in there and count it. But this whole distraction allows Starks to recover and hit Jungle Boy with the Rochambeau for the one, two, three. Uh, and then it got very interesting post-match. Down comes Christian Cage and Luchasaurus barging past Swerve Strickland uh, to make sure you know Jungle Boy's all right. And there's a face-off. Uh, with uh, Hobbs, who was there at ringside, and Ricky Starks and uh, Swerve Strickland. Keith Lee comes out in in pink shoes uh, <laughs> to, to, to provide some support to Swerve. And then there's just that moment. I'm not going to quite compare it to Revolution, but that second where you go, no one else just, just see that with Christian and Jungle Boy in the ring. This was really, really good. There was lots and lots and lots and lots to like about it without falling in love with it as this blow-away great match that made you feel like you're watching this minor classic unfold. Really nice work. I like the storytelling of... But it was just two young studs trying to like, out... Like, athleticism the other, if you like, <laughs> yes. to outperform, outstyle the other. Then it got a bit more gnarly um, later on. And I was thinking, this is really good, really nice work. I'm enjoying myself. It's an, uh, an enhancement to the show. I'm not falling in love with this, but that's fine. And then I'm thinking, I'll probably never remember this again in about six months. And then Ricky Starks finds a way to make my mirror. I don't know why. He's like the <laughs> kernel. Jim Ross is maximum, yeah. maximize your minutes. Do something to make them remember you. Do something that makes you distinct from other people. And Ricky Starks is so great that not only did he do it in a sort of thing that would make a good clickbait thumbnail, let's be honest, um, a really good facial, something to remember you by, he did it and he put over his opponent's move as something like, oh my God, if I don't literally scratch and claw, mm -hmm. it's so much better than just saying it, isn't it? Mm. It's so much better when this is communicated in the body of a professional wrestling match, which is more of a vehicle for storytelling than a microphone is. And he literally has to scratch and claw to make the ropes. He gets himself over, he sells his opponent's move, this is all great, so much so that I didn't really mind the schmoz at the end. And this is the rare occasion, uh, in my opinion, people might differ, of schmozzes actually can work if you use them in moderation because the more you beat Jungle Boy, and it does, it advances the, the, the storyline rift with Christian Cage, but the more you do it, the more it's suboptimal because the guy's a champion and mm. you don't want to do that. So this is the time to do these things. You weren't as much of a fan on this. I didn't love the match. I, like, just to build on Cedric's point there, like we've talked about Christian, why he's falling out with Jungle Boy is because he's losing faith in him because he's a loser. So in order to make that work, Jungle Boy's got to lose. So you find ways for him to lose matches in a way that doesn't devalue him. For I'm the glad they've done one clean yeah. for the benefit of their own and then this one's a little bit different. Yeah, and that helps the tease and you know that, that does help, which is which is really cool. That This is the stuff you want to see and what you want to what you want to watch AEW for because you get a little moment, everybody feels it and then it's like, nah, arm around him, not tonight. And then it goes away again, you know, and it's just... A, Subtle's not the word because it's happening in the middle of the ring and you're, you're instructed to look at it, but it's it's nice. It's like that's the way you want to see stories told when they're not like not everything should be turned up to eleven right now. You know, you've got to stagger things out. I wasn't high in the match, but I don't think that was really the fault of the wrestlers particularly. I think maybe um, even when I'm praising the format in a dynamite, there are going to be natural dips. Audiences, and this is why we talk about it with the women's division so much. Audiences don't choose where to dip. Your enthusiasm is what it is, and sometimes yeah. you don't have the energy to come up and too often the women are put in the spot where traditionally you're kind of losing the energy to come up in this case you're following loads of really good stuff and 
an incredible segment in the form of the Wardlow thing. That's a different energy that you expend watching something like that live versus watching a wrestling match. And I think this was a bit of a... Something was going to be it, and it was this. A slight victim to everybody having their dip. And some of the good work might have been elevated to great by an audience that were more invested in it. To criticise the booking slightly, uh, if it wasn't an audience enthusiasm, if it wasn't, sorry, the, the placement of the show, I would argue perhaps that it was the FTW title. There are too many belts on this show. Like, there are there are too many belts on this show, and titles are, like, you know in your minds, if I say, like, a valuable title in AEW right now, you're thinking AEW world title, then are you thinking the Owen Hart Cup? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, AEW tag belts, eh, TNT title, in the mud. Ring of Honor tag belts, yes, because they happen to be around the waist of FTR who are flying. But, like, same, I guess, with Joe to an extent. There's just too many belts to the point, like, uh, I would actually put Jade Cargill above a lot of the ones I've just yeah. said as well as TBS champion. Certainly both Thunder Rosa too. There's too many belts, and I think like the FGW title, when a lot of the time it's a prop anyway, probably isn't helping that mm. as well. So there's a few but things. Why would you want to win it? Yeah, a few things working against them, but the work was obviously very good. I just mm. think there was like things working against this match feeling like classic. I'm the same with Sigurd as well. This match, the, the finish didn't offend me, but I know and understand why some people would rather just AW did it never. Like, I do get that mindset. Like, just never, ever, ever do it. But I, I'm kind of more of a moderation person. I think there are times... It's really hard to set up a um, credible reason. Well, it's it's so hard to set up a credible reason for a triple threat tag that they failed at it last month with the Young Bucks and Red Dragon. Two Battle Royals, two weeks, loads of stuff. Yes. This is a more credible triple threat. Yes. Yeah, it will be as good, though. No. <laughs> uh, what could possibly go wrong next? It was time for Jericho Appreciation Society to have their victory speech, and what a speech it was. Oh, did the line say the line, Daddy Magic? <laughs> yes! Uh, we should uh, mention we also got uh, Cool Hand Ange welcoming the AW Galaxy <laughs> to this victory speech, uh, speech and then speech. speech. <laughs> Such a cock, why did I jump on that? It's because I've seen the word... Daddy Magic Hard Nipples written <laughs> and got very excited, yeah. You know what turns me on? You know what makes my nipples hard? <laughs> Being a part of this. Excellent. Uh, that's them. That's the first time I felt them after the introduction, like the, the 2.0 lads. Yeah. Do you remember the very first week where they were in that like supply closet on NXT and we were like, build a show around them. Yeah, yeah. Like they were just like screaming at nothing in particular. They were like complaining about getting them. We were like, Build a show around them, and this brand can be saved. Daddy Magic made me fall in love with them, which was so difficult to do on NXT because that show was so drab at this point in time. When they cut that sh- promo in the supply closet, and like I think you and Murray lost your minds <laughs> because I said, lads, the best thing ever has happened. I'm obviously prone to hyperbole and mm-hmm. recency bias. I said, lads, the best thing of all time. I've just watched it on my screen. It's from NXT. <laughs> and you're like, oh, shut up, man. I was like, no, that's my favorite thing of all time. It's just happened to you on NXT. And it was Danny Magic going, it's turning me on. <laughs> Coliseum Coke eyes. Coliseum video Coke eyes. Silver vision. <laughs> Giving me visions of just God. <laughs> um, Jericho calms it all down next, though. Uh, he gets on that the mic. so good. And talks about uh, hometown heroes in Long Island. Uh, mentions that he was born here. Uh, but he was uh, quickly moved away because this place is a dump. <laughs> That's some of my favourite stuff. Like uh, He then goes on to discuss his mastery of fireballs and says, I'm a wizard. Uh, I love this stuff, this wizard thing. It's amazing. <laughs> that jacket as well. With yeah. the, oh, brilliant stuff. Um, and he talks about taking out Santana and Ortiz and taking out Eddie Kingston. He mentions Eddie Kingston's wife. Bad idea, all this. 
Uh, and then he says, look, guys, you should just stay at home. Jericho216 says, I just burned your face. <laughs> Uh, Daniel Garcia. That's so rubbish, isn't it? But uh, like, knowingly rubbish. Like, knowingly rubbish. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Garcia, yeah, gets on the mic uh, and says, "Look, every time a pro wrestler steps in the ring with a sports entertainer, uh, sports entertainer wins every time." And John Moxley's music then hits, and he he uh, swaggers his way through the crowd, and Jericho goes, "All right, Moxley, but look, one of you, there's five of us. We've got the numbers advantage." Out comes Brian Danielson. Out comes the, the Blackpool Combat Club. Uh, Wheelie Uta, William Regal there as well. And he's like, all right, well done. But still, it's four on five. So, you know, what are you going to do about it? And who should jump up on the opposite side of the ring to the Blackpool Combat Club? And Eddie Kingston with his burnt face, Santana and Ortiz. And you just suddenly see that look dawn on the entire Jericho Appreciation Society. Oh, now we're outnumbered. And they get the crap beaten out of them. Big, big brawl. Uh, but the big thing that you need to remember is William Regal nailing Jericho <laughs> on the outside with a right. Um, your thoughts on all this, Hamlet? Oh, the blood pumping through my body was fizzy when John Moxley was walking out because I was like, well, not only is this the man I love, but finally Blackpool Combat Club have an angle and a purpose beyond just beating people up. And I didn't realize how much I wanted that. That's a great... That's what space coat tastes like. Yes. Fizzy blood. Fizzy blood. <laughs> like, I didn't realize until this week that we were probably only one week away from me thinking I'm going to be bored of the Blackpool Combat Club just beating guys up. Them having a purpose and it being shown to me through John Moxley being the first guy that was prepared to potentially take... Like, in this, in the kayfabe world of the baby faces hatching their plot to outnumber... Um, the sports entertainment group, it's got to be somebody first. And John Moxley just being the guy, like, I'll do it. Like, I'll just walk out and I'll stand down five men. And like if you guys don't get there in time, I'm getting decked. Like, I'll, that's John Moxley. That's this guy. I adore that so much. Um, the brawl was great. The numbers work out nicely. As Murray reminded me this morning, what with Wheelie Uta going off to the best of Super Juniors, that's our, that's our numbers game sorted because William Regal's face is getting burnt next week. That's going to be amazing. The wizard is getting his revenge on William Regal for the power of that punch. And I love... He's got too much hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's got too much glorious flowing hair. The wizard versus the man that owns a lizard. Uh, <laughs> love <laughs> so much. This, this baby face... Not even oh, me, that. And, uh, this baby face quintet is fantastic. John Moxley and Santana spiked each other's eyes out once upon a time in AEW <laughs> Law. About that, in yeah. AEW Law. And Eddie Kingston and Brian Anderson despise each other. So <laughs> they beat each other half to a bloody pulp, like, just because. And these are the five men that are going to take out or attempt to take out the sports entertainers. Brilliant. Jake Hager's such a lucky boy. Look <laughs> at <laughs> his wrestling and working it's, alongside. It's happened again. <laughs> I think he realised this at one point. I think when he walked into the ring last it's night, a blog, it was a bit when, he was like, when he was just like, hey, I can't believe I'm here. This is great because it just Funny. it ties up everything that you think, oh, that's a bit of a loose start, or I'm not that into that, or this doesn't make sense. I oh, just, boom, one segment ties everything together. Samford says, what, what are BCC doing or not doing it? Double or nothing. That's a bit weird. And then you think, but BCC in itself is the most incredible thing ever, but... Moxie and Kingston, best mates, and don't I want that to be a thing? Their chemistry is so good, and you want continuity matter. And you can head cannon it by saying things to yourself to the effect of, "Oh well, you know, he's a he's a grown man; he can fight his own battles." I can imagine Moxie thinking this, but I'd prefer to see them together mm -hmm. because they're the best together. 
they saved the revolution done together yeah. alongside 69 Me Don, which is still some of the funniest <laughs> things of all time. And everything just came together beautifully. Mox, of course, the best guy. He's going to have Kingston's back in this situation. You're going to have this incredible 10-man. Everything just makes perfect sense because not only have you got the Mox-Kingston connection, you've got Mox Danielson, and Real doesn't work. He still really likes WWE, that's weird. But they're the wrestling guys. Yes. They're obviously going to gravitate towards, as enemies, towards the JAS. And then it's all just pieced together beautifully. Jericho's performance was absolutely tremendous. This is the most I've thought. And it was something annoying at me where I'm like, the JAS, this should be working so much better than it is. I don't know why. It's the most perfect idea with the perfect cast of characters. Why isn't it, why isn't it not the best thing? And then for the first two minutes before the angle happened, all the individual microphone performances, I oh, this is the best thing. Mm. Talked about hard nipples. <laughs> Jericho was talking about shagging other people's wives. <laughs> Calling himself a wizard. This is what I, I want Guy from Gossier's this act. cap. Just simple touches like that. It's really cool bringing, like we've already said, obviously the, the teases, the name drop, and even the, the ordering of the segments a few weeks ago. But the first time that like Daniel Garcia is now being brought face to face with the BCC, and it's like this is actually where you should be. Yeah. Instead, you're here. Like, it's nice to have that like that brought together in the form of this feud. Now, like the, the William Regal is coming out and taking a look and being like, you're with the wrong team. But like yet again, you're gonna have to bleed to realise that. <laughs> Do they have when you say you is going? Because I'm not sure about the timeline. Do they have time to write him off, or is he just gone by the time Dynamite rolls around next week? You don't have to write him off because he's in the best of the Super Juniors. Yeah, I would like. No, that but to yeah, but as I'm just I'm just thinking in terms I hope of in terms don't. of. I don't you want. Have, you could have. All I'm thinking is you could have Garcia, the sports entertainer, take out the pro. There was sort of an implication that you're sending like I'm taking you out, but you're still strong enough to work yeah, in New Japan. Yeah, it's point. kind of a, like a bad look, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, especially, especially when they're doing Forbidden Door. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Uh, then we got a Serena Deeb video package hyping her up like she needs it. Um, she does. She's a woman in AEW. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, they still talked about how dangerous she is and her upcoming championship match with Thunder Rosa. Uh, and then it was time for another uh, Owen Hart Cup match. It was uh, Jamie Hayter versus Tony Storm. Um, Hayter gets sent out to the floor through a drop kick, but as she gets back into the ring, uh, she boots Tony Storm and takes advantage. Uh, suplexes on the floor during the break. When we come back, Storm forearm and a strong hip attack and a DDT, uh, and then even a DDT out on the floor and uh, a diving crossbody for a two count. One of the Jamie Hayter takes a diving crossbody better than anyone in Indus Bjornos, in my opinion. Or planner. Um, <laughs> 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 Backbreaker from Hater gets her a two count, but she sort of injures the knee during doing that. Uh, they fight on the, an apron. Hater hits a urinogi out there, uh, and then they fight on the top rope. Hater gets her with a superplex, uh, but then Storm counters the follow up into a cradle for two, and then hits the Storm Zero out of nowhere. Looks like she breaks Hater's goddamn neck uh, and gets the one, two, three, uh, and it will be yeah, yeah. Tony Storm will face the winner of Brit Breaker and a Joker baby. That's right, isn't it? Yes, yes, mm. yes. Your thoughts on the match? I really, really liked it. Maybe it was because I was in a generous, forgiving mood because I really enjoyed literally everything on this show, most of it to an absolutely incredible extent. The crowd obviously weren't with it as much as they were with most everything else on the show, but you did get... I was removed from the usual bleak vibe because I think the actual quality of the work was really, really, really strong, and I think the crowd was more tired than default... Yes. ...uninterested arts the women, which has happened on far too many AEW tapings. I think they were just more tired than just not into it because of the division. Mm -hmm. 
but the work itself was really, really strong. I'd have liked it to have been a little bit louder. There was certain, like, some of it was so impactful and nasty and vicious, and this really hurts, and these two women really want it. Like, a very simple but snug story was told here. In the spot with the inside cradle from the second suplex attempt, I don't think I've ever seen that from that um, particular sequence. It was such, like, a heart-and-mouth counter. We go back, talk about how much I love counters. This was really, like, it felt desperate. It was, like, really well-performed. I don't think I've ever seen it before. I've really had a lot of nice things to say about it. I I tell you what I got from this, the big takeaway. Um, and again, like to a lesser extent than the opener, but it was good for the um, pedigree of the Owen, that this was of, of the standard it was, and it felt like the, the prize means something. Um, I have such faith that AEW are going to get Tony Storm exactly right. She is, she's got such a level of star power that WWE saw that and thought, perfect. What we'll do is do all our, like, rank bollocks, WWE stuff, wacky promos, like, wacky gimmicks stuff. My she can't tiny two pies. Tiny two pies. My mother was a rock star. Like, uh, like all of that nonsense, right? Because they just think, well, the star power will carry over the line and the rest will come. That's that, they do that with too many of their wrestlers. What got lost in that is that she did all the really, really hard yards of working stardom, of working the British indies. And you got to see that here with the star power. She gets this big reaction. Like, the crowd were a little bit dead for the body of the match but like when she like enters she gets this big response when she wins she gets a bit like a big pop like people really gravitate towards her she's got that pro wrestling magnetism but like to use a word that uh, to use a word i wish wasn't bastardized she's got a lot of grit like it was <laughs> snug it was super hard hitting and those two things are complementary we've just talked about the blackpool combat club they're really complementary aspects the mainstream pro wrestling because it's been led by wb often doesn't dwell on enough especially not with women and Tony Storm like occupies quite a unique space as a result. And I just like the way this match was wrestled. I just got the sense that like she's going to be pushed in exactly the right way. It's going to make the best out of the fact that she hits really hard. She can break you. She can hurt you like a Serena Deeb. But she's also somebody that you put on the front of the posters in the way that they did with say babyface Britt Baker back in 2019. Somebody that absolutely could sell tickets on as a as a babyface headlining world champion. I, I got a lot of those vibes from Tony Storm in this. Well, I, I was worried that after the debut, they kind of weren't profiling her enough off the back of the Rampage tag and this. And I think she's going to win the Owen. And it's yeah to the moon, you know. Uh, we got to the where? To the moon. <laughs> gets to do that on a Thursday, not it? And you could do it in Australia. Yeah. You could double up. Well, save that. <laughs> save that for when she wins it. Um, we got a video package uh, for uh, Kaz versus uh, Scorpio Sky. And Scorpio Sky is going to restore some respect so that think of the legacy of this TNT title. It actually has one. That yeah. wasn't far long ago. I'm Miro. <laughs> He's great, isn't he? He's coming back, don't worry. Um, and Kazarian, they attempted an interview, but time's rushing on. Uh, so he gets asked a question about wrestling his former tag team partner. And in comes Sammy Guevara and Tay Conti, uh, who says, you know, watch out. Sky's a different man now. He'll stab you in the back. He can't be trusted. Uh, and Kazarian blows him off sort of thing. Uh, and Guevara ends with a, an SCU later, and Kazarian says, your, your vlog sucks. Just a, like a little thing on this. Here's the recent AW acting on its worst impulses bit, because they felt that this needed both a video package and a backstage interview, and both of them ended with the mic drop of SCU later. Yeah. It's like, there it is. You do not need both. You need one or the other, because Sammy Guevara doing the, uh, I know, like, he's a heel, so you, if you wanted, you could sort of canonize it as him. Like, is he? You could, as copying, but, like... Uh, see you later. Drop the mic. That's just happened in the video. Yeah. Like, you absolutely didn't need both. 
And and it probably doesn't help that like I've got next to zero investment in any of these guys or that bailed. It was so weird watching this segment because I again I'm going to say this because it, I enjoy watching the wrestling show and enjoying it as much as I do and I do. I watched all of it, loved all of it. And then this happens. Like, oh yeah, show can be absolutely awful at times. <laughs> I, I completely forgot how awful it can be on a on a small basis. But you know, yes, no, I get what you're very pronounced. From. Uh, main event time. I'm intrigued again to know your thoughts on this because I think it might be quite divided. Uh, it was Darby Allen versus Jeff Hardy for a spot in the semifinals of the Owen Hart Cup. And Darby starts the way he does shotgun drop kick and that insane tope suicida that his bullet out of a gun stuff, obviously, to just knock Jeff Hardy flying. And yeah, I bought the fact he hit two moves on an older guy. And he went, bloody hell, I'm in a second to recover from that. And that gave Darby Allen time to set up eight goddamn chairs in a... But they described as a stretcher at one point, basically. Yeah. Uh, set them up uh, in a, a unique structure um, on the outside. But that allows Jeff time to recover, and he sends him into the steel steps. And uh, there's back and forth out there, and Jeff hits a, a leaping clothesline off the steps. But Darby managed to send Jeff into the ring post. Um in the midst of going to the break, I think Jeff Hardy hit a twist of fate whilst Darby was in the ropes uh, and then pulled a giant ladder from under the ring and set it up. Uh, during the break, he was yeah, setting it up and, and, and climbing up to the top of it. Darby's out there on the outside laying on those eight chairs that I mentioned he set up earlier. Um, but Darby recovers before Jeff Hardy can kill himself and uh, pops up and uh, climbs back into the ring and crotches Jeff Hardy on the top rope. Uh, and so roles are reversed. Jeff Hardy's now on the outside. Darby climbs this huge ladder and does this insane dive onto Jeff Hardy, sort of, but also onto some steel chairs on the outside. It was like a 20-foot fall? Easy, wasn't it, basically? Oh, 10 to 15 feet. Yeah. It felt it felt massive. They shot it brilliantly. How did he fall off a 10 to 15-foot ladder? <laughs> <laughs> um, and he, he, he just... It, it's insane that they both were still able to able to continue the match yeah, after it was. this. Um, they go back in the ring. Darby wants the coffin drop. Jeff rolls to the uh, apron. Darby goes, I still hit it there. Comes off the top. And Jeff Hardy moves right at the last second. And Darby hits the hardest part of the ring with the coffin drop. Um, Jeff now goes for the uh, swanton on the steel steps that have been, I should have mentioned, they've been put on their side uh, on Darby Allen on the steel steps. But this time Darby moves out of the way and Jeff... Uh, I don't know why I quite enjoyed this. He swantons onto the steps, and then obviously because the way that they're positioned, he ends up on his feet, and he's like, oh, my bloody back! (laughs) Straight down. Um, Jeff Hardy. Jeff eventually climbs back into the ring. Darby seizes opportunity, hits the coffin drop from the top rope, but Jeff... Quickly reverses the uh, the cr- reverses it into a cradle. One, two, three. Jeff Hardy wins. He will go fourth uh, and face Adam Cole in the semifinals. Who came out with the rest of the undisputed elite to to stare down these guys to close out the show. But this was just a bonkers spot fest, and I get the feeling that that's the point we're about to talk about. I go misery gods first, so we'll end on a high. Yeah, <laughs> there's absolutely no way we escape this podcast without me just being a total fun sponge. So I'd rather do it first, and then we can like you know get Cedric's enthusiasm. So I thought this was artless toss with a couple of goths, but <laughs> it's not just. So I had this a chat with Murray over the desks this morning, early doors, and then he said, and it was he was very nice about it. He was so like you have to be careful with that criticism because it's been stolen and cannibalized by yes. bad faith. Criti- what I was suggesting was. I felt nothing for the most insane spots in this match. Certainly not, oh my God, that I was kind of like resentful of it. 
and I, I it's, it's not, Darby Allen can do what he wants with his body, right? But there is an impact off the back of all this, and I'm, not just, I'm not just talking about like the physical one on on his back and his life. And all you need to do is like, I was a teenager once, going mad for everything McFoley did, and like I didn't care. I, I did care, but I didn't care that he was breaking his body for my entertainment and my thrills. And now I look at the broken man that he became as a result of it, and. There's my context, right? And I don't. That's why I don't want anybody to like look at Darby Allen and not enjoy what they do because people will say like the things that guy does for the for the love of the entertaining the crowd. And I was like, I'm not sure he does it for all those reasons. To be quite honest, I think he's just wired that way, mm. you know. So I'm not taking responsibility for the choices he chooses to make. I've safety police bollocks, you know. You can't just not want people to do those things, you know. So I try to not be that guy, but I was so desensitized to these hideous acts of violence that it makes me feel like. What are you doing that for? You thick idiot. You <laughs> stupid fool. Like, you ludicrous creature. Don't do these things. Like, sell some ribs off something that isn't real in the opener. Like that. Do more of that. CM Punk should have, like, CM Punk's work should have told everybody. MJF's work should be telling all of these people, like, how this can be its most effective without this. And I appreciate it's the buffet, so there's absolutely a place for everything. But this is where I'm going to sound like the cornet guy. But I, I mean this. Like, this is not bollocks. I promise. Like, in years to come, something really bad is going to happen because of the very, 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 very high acceleration of the bar yet again. And we're all going to go, whether it's a broken back, whether it's worse. And we're going to go, how did it come to this? As if it hasn't done that, like, over and over. There are so many chapters of, like, how has it come to this? Well, here's how. And we all went, whoa! And I, I don't know, like, and it's just, I'm old enough now. Uh, like, I am too old for Jeff Hardy versus Darby Allen. That's what it is. Like, it's a me thing, so it's, like, a subjective thing. And I thought the match was crap. And I thought the... When Darby Allen has these matches, and then, like, a coffin match or a uh, body bag full of pins bit doesn't hit as hard as you would want it to, it's because stuff like this happens. You know, like, he does so much that then there's going to be other weeks where he does just as much violent stuff to himself, and it doesn't... Mm. You don't feel anything for it. And I hated the finish when Cody did it, and I hate it now. Like, the coffin drop being hit, but then no sold. Like, I understand that there's... The, the story trying to tell is experience. Absorb, roll up, get the win. Like, I get that. I just think it's a rubbish finish. Like, I, I still cannot work out. We talked about the impact of the coffin drop based on, like, Billy Gunn's 3.1 shoulder <laughs> roll. Like, is a coffin drop good or not? Like, it seems to get Darby Allen. It gets Allen. a pop. It gets a pop. It gets a pop. It gets a pop, th- pop in the emulation going, of people, the sport. People think it's going to end the match. Right. But, like, it's it has ended the match. And in two cases... With Darby Allen losing. I but like it about 25 more times he's won. All right. Fair enough. Yeah, fair argument. I, I, I thought this was I thought this was like too nonsensical. The bumps were too nonsensical for... There's a different match between different people where these people are criticised for being vain and doing what they want rather than doing something that makes sense. But I just think the spots are so spectacular that some people aren't going to see it that way. And I don't mean some people to be passive-aggressive Sidgwick, who I know is going to praise it. I'm saying I think... If you take the violence out and you look at this in a different way, other wrestlers would be criticised mm. for kind of like going into business themselves a little bit and just popping themselves rather than committing to what all of this is for. I mean, I'm inclined to agree with, with elements of what you said. There was certainly a bit like I said when Jeff Hardy went up that ladder and Darby's there on those eight chairs. And I was like, I don't want you to do this. And what? that's a weird impulse to have. It's, it's, a, it's a question of why. Mm. And there's no there's no logical answer, but sometimes logic gets thrown out the window for these guys. On Tiltgate, they spent a good nine months telling the story of how ultimately, against a much larger guy, Darby Allen can use the weight leverage in his favor. He lost to Cody in the Atlanta gym tapings, and then he defeated Brian Cage. The 
amount of damage he suffered in this match made me by the fact that he'd failed to learn a lesson he'd spent a very, very long time actually trying to grasp. So that's fine for me. In terms of the violence aspect, it, it just ruled. <laughs> this match absolutely ruled. I've got a few things to say about it because genuinely there's not too much to say. Like two lunatics with scant regard for their bodies of differing ages and similar aesthetics and styles just did the things he expected them to do. But I... It was, it was so much wilder than I even thought possible. This was so stunning to me in its violence. And yes, subjectively, some people might be more desensitized to it than others. I, you, It's impossible. You, you're lying to me. <laughs> you can't have been desensitized where that first bump off the ladder, I was shrieking, howling. Like, it was just mad. I grumbled. Oh, God's sake. I was just like, <laughs> I was like you're dead. <laughs> you're dead. And I just loved it. Like... I thought the actual commitment to the stunts and the bumps was so outrageous that if you're going to do artless stuff, kind of make it art in its own weird sort of wavelength, it was just so insane. And I couldn't possibly personally be desensitized to that level of insanity that I just thought, well, they've broken new ground, whether it's, you know, like well-advised to do so. Not for me to say. It's not my body. I do often remember and in fact write about Masawa and think yes yeah calm down but at the same time not not our bodies to choose that yeah, yeah it's just this was so wild that I couldn't possibly be bored mm. or grumble about it to use Hamlet's word I want to end on one note of storytelling storytelling isn't necessarily working a hold I'm not saying they told this great story um, but what I'm saying is that storytelling can be a lot of different things in pro wrestling and the story here, and I think Darby Allen deserves a ton of credit for it, and there's one spot I want to isolate with which to do that, is that the story is we need to pretend that for 12 minutes Jeff Hardy can go and is a star again. And Darby Allen told that story, and it was incredible. They took literally every shortcut, which is ironic considering how far they fell at times, <laughs> but they told that story nonetheless. The bit, it wasn't one of the wildest um, sequences, but it was the most impressive, is that they upturned the steel chair. Um, Jeff Hardy does nothing here and Darby does everything and he does it so well that it makes it look like Jeff Hardy isn't doing nothing. Jeff Hardy tosses him over the stairs. Um, Darby Allen does that sort of Lucha-inspired rolling bump where he clears it and he rolls onto his back and springs back up, right? Knowing that his opponent is so much slower than he is and Darby Allen is a pinball, he feigns to slip ever so slightly when he's going to do the running charge. And he does so with such perfect timing that when uh, Jeff Hardy jumps over the steps that he can land him with a clothesline. There's a little fake like misstep on Darby Allen's part where he reconciles just how fast and how slow these two men are to make it seem like they're working in the same rhythm, which in turn makes it look like, Jesus Christ, Jeff Hardy can still go with Darby yeah. Allen. I thought his performance individually, Darby Allen's, was amazing. Which is a shame because he's a cock. That's a like that's a brilliant take. Like a brilliant. Like if you brilliant. go back and watch the footwork, it's magnificent. More people should listen to this podcast if they don't already. Because that's, <laughs> that's an absolutely fantastic take. Thank I'll, you. I want to end on some. Pra- I love this show, so I want to end on some praise as well. Because I saw. I wish I could remember he tweeted this, but and I, like I've seen it in other matches, and I think we've mentioned it previously. And it's funny that I've like been critical of like people's decisions, shall we say, but. I remain so happy that one of the worst things that ever really happened in mainstream professional wrestling has been 
absolved in AEW. And that's every time I see like Sting, so like a nod of respect to Jeff Hardy. Yeah. Like an awful, awful wound has been healed as a result of Jeff Hardy's mm. arrival in AEW. And even though it's in a match with like really dangerous stuff, like he has to go out there like sharp as a thistle and clean as a whistle to have a match like this and not going out like he did against Sting that time. And I like seeing those little nods is like, like it's you don't forget because there was a lot of years where Sting could have thought business is in the bin because of like guys like Jeff Hardy having everything and it becoming this. That's nice. I just like yeah. AW, AW fosters a lot of these nice yeah. things and you always want to see that. Yeah. Uh, I'm intrigued to know your thoughts on potentially a divisive main event. I'm not I'm not sure. I haven't really seen the, the discourse online about this, but continue it. It's coming. At what culture <laughs> WWE on Twitter. Watch there you can follow all three of us. You can follow a Michael Hamflet at Let it be coming because of this. Let's be tastemakers. Mm. Uh, Michael Hamflet. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at M Sidgwick. Still get his brilliant book all about AW becoming all elite, the rise of AW on Amazon right now. You can follow me on Twitter at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at what culture WWE. As I said, make sure you subscribe to what culture wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts uh, but for now this has been the aw dynamite review my thanks to the dadly boys thank you for joining us and we will see you soon hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince i'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with quince being 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands and they partner with factories that prioritize safe ethical and responsible manufacturing i love that luxury quality within reach go to quince.com style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order quince.com style Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money at Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.